What's up, everybody? Welcome back to episode 18 of the Four Birds Podcast. It's been a minute. Um, you know, we're not on our normal posting schedule anymore with the season over. Uh, but we came back to recap the 2020 season, and it was it was a weird one for sure with COVID and opt outs and and all sorts of all sorts of weird stuff, conference only schedules, just all sorts of stuff. It was a weird one, but we're here to recap each team. So I hope you enjoy, and let's get it. I guess, as everybody knows, Alabama is once again the national champion. That makes Nick Saban the most uh, – the winningest – well, I guess the coach with the Goat. most national championships ever in college football with seven. He's about to fill up his entire – both hands. Um, but they beat the shit out of Ohio State, 52-24. Wasn't much of a surprise, to be honest, um, but – yeah, I mean, all season they looked like they were on a different level than everybody else. The playoff wasn't super uh, competitive in any of the games, to be honest with you. Um, but but it's yeah. sort of a concerning trend. Yeah. What was that? that someone sent a stat I mean, ten, about the yeah, – Yeah, there's there's been 21 playoff games now. Uh, ten of them have been decided by 20 points or more. Yeah, that's concerning. So – yeah, there, so. there's there's not a whole typically, lot of competitive games going on. I mean, if yeah, I think back what to we it, playoff is, games, like the most competitive one that I can think of is Georgia Oklahoma, and then outside of that, like, yeah, that game well, Clemson kind of, Clemson Alabama in fifteen for the Natty was a really good one. Sixteen was a really good one. Ohio State but, Alabama was good too. Yeah, yeah, but no. there just aren't a whole lot that jump off the page. Just like man, I remember that game. You know, that, I mean, when, half, year, when half of them are absolute blowouts. That yeah. year, um, we went into overtime with Oklahoma and Bama. Yep. That's right. Yeah, and now the teams are just getting uneven, it seems like. I mean, Bama, I mean, the Bama last was just three on years, another level. Well, the last three seasons, your, your champion has just absolutely dogged everyone on their schedule. Yeah. Yeah. But – Anyways, coming back to recap the season uh, for our respective teams, I guess. Um, I guess we saved the worst for first in South Carolina. Um, but, you know, obviously they went two and eight. It was a season to forget. Uh, probably in, in all my years of being South Carolina fan, probably one of the more disappointing, if not the most disappointing season I've ever seen. And obviously, there's a lot of disappointing seasons in Gamecock history. You know, you go back to the one and twenty-one streak from ninety-eight to ninety-nine, the three and nine in twenty fifteen, and a loss to Citadel in that season after you know the whole Spurrier debacle or whatever. But this team, I feel like it stings a little bit more because we actually had a bunch of talent, and just 
couldn't couldn't put put anything on the field. Uh, you know, to start the season, obviously there are questions on the offensive side of the ball. Really, um, didn't have many receivers that were proven, except outside of Shy Smith. When Marshawn Lloyd went down, uh, the five-star running back, we you know we didn't really know who would who would take his spot right there. We didn't know if, if Kevin Harris was ready to be a number one back, which you know obviously he proved he was. Um, but there was still a lot of talent all over the roster for the new, then new uh, offensive coordinator Mike Bobo and the defensive coordinator Tavares Robinson to work with. Um, but I guess we can go back to September 26th, start of the season against uh, in Williams Bryce against Tennessee. This was one that a lot of people had as kind of a, uh, a toss up game for South Carolina. They really needed this win to start off the season. And, you know, they started off, they started off the game really well. They got the ball first, drove straight down the field, scored with the Kevin Harris touchdown, which obviously would be the first of many this season. Um, that first drive made Mike Bobo look good, made naming Colin Hill the starting quarterback look good, all that stuff. Uh, but then after that, the offense just got shut down. The defense made – yeah, the defense made some some solid stops in the game, I felt like. But, you know, it came, came down to the last couple of minutes. Uh, the defense made a crucial stop and forced Tennessee to punt with a few minutes on the clock, let Colin Hill have a chance to drive down the field and, and prove himself in his very first game as a Gamecock. You know, Jamie Robinson was back there to return the punt. Punt goes up and it hits off Cam Smith. Tennessee recovers to secure the win. South Carolina's 0-1, game ended 31-27. It was a bit of a heartbreaker to start off the season, um, especially to a team like Tennessee who – we know now turned out to be pretty poor. Uh, going to the next week, South Carolina was in Gainesville versus Florida, which I thought South Carolina played a pretty good game. Offense came out again, first drive scored. Uh, Kevin Harris had his first 100-yard game. That's that 100-yard game of the season, that game. Uh, Shai Smith had 12 receptions, which was kind of crazy. They, they just force-fed him the ball. But I think South Carolina just kind of got out-talented that game because, you know, obviously we saw what the Florida offense would go on to do that this season. Uh, ended up losing by 14 points, which probably really should have been seven. Uh, but Colin Hill missed a wide-open Shy Smith in the end zone with, like, a minute 30 left on the clock, which made it look a little bit worse than it actually was. Game ended uh, 38-24, but I thought it was a pretty competitive game throughout. Uh, the next week, Gamecocks got a little sigh of relief going to Nashville to take on Vanderbilt. Uh, they, they definitely needed that cupcake game after starting off 0-2 with a couple pretty heartbreaking losses. I mean, Florida Florida wasn't really a toss-up. Florida should have beat us, but I felt like the Gamecocks made it a game a little bit down in Gainesville. Um, but anyways, in Nashville, I mean, South Carolina beat them the way that that they should probably beat them every year, the way that every team should probably beat them every year. Kevin Harris went for 100 again, ended with 171 and two touchdowns. Um, and after this, I think South Carolina fans realized that Kevin Harris is really – he's the real deal. Ended up winning that game 41-7. to seven. Uh, Then the next week, went back home against the Auburn Tigers, which was a really big game because it was another, another toss-up game. 
and this game will probably go down in history being known as the J.C. Horn game because he had the game of his career. Two picks, forced another one uh, that was picked off by the safety Jalen Dickerson. Um, you know, the offense played okay, but they got helped out a lot by the defense, putting them in good field position. Shai Smith and Kevin Harris made enough big plays to secure that win, uh, won that game 30-22. And, you know, at that point in the season, things started to feel like they were going back on track after the 0-2 start, sitting at 2-2 and now with a win over, you know, what people thought was a good Auburn team. Um, so then – go down to Baton Rouge and that was that was a turning point for the worst uh, I would say for the Gamecocks you know there's some there's some fire behind the team after the Auburn win uh, and LSU was starting a true freshman quarterback in TJ Finley because Miles Brennan was out with with a with an injury defense still couldn't stop him uh, Will Muschamp who was supposed to be a defensive minded coach decided to come out in some soft zone and just let LSU do whatever the hell they wanted to. And, you know, even though Kevin Harris had another 100-yard game, uh, South Carolina got beat by almost 30. LSU beat us 52-24, to 24, which was just, just a horrible loss. And right when you think that things couldn't get worse, um, you got the next game at Texas A&M. Well, you had a bye week between these two games, but the next game was at Texas A&M. And uh, that was a bad one. A&M actually came to Williams-Brice um, and just, just made South Carolina their bitch, honestly. I think, I think honestly, the clock saved us because they might still be scoring two and a half months later. Um, the offense was bad. Colin Hill only threw for 66 yards. Just uh, the run game couldn't get, couldn't get started all around just horrible. Obviously the defense just couldn't do anything. Um, and after a 48 to three loss at home, Will Muschamp's seat was absolutely scorching. So next week, South Carolina traveled up to Oxford to take on old Lane Kiffin and that explosive Ole Miss offense. Uh, this was kind of a prove a game for Will Muschamp because this, I mean, it's, it was a winnable game. Uh, for the talent we had versus the talent they had. Um, but, you know, I mean, the offense looked fine. They put up 42 points. Kevin Harris had 250 yards, five touchdowns, and Shaw Smith had 100 yards receiving and a touchdown. But, I mean, again, the defense looked horrible, gave up almost 60 points. And over the past three – or over those three games, they gave up 159 points. So the Gamecocks lose 59-42. to 42. And then the day after, on November 15th of 2020, Will Muschamp was finally fired, and the Muschamp era came to an end. So, you know, I guess that was, that was a little bright spot there. But the next game, Missouri, uh, Gamecocks were led by their now interim head coach, Mike Bobo, who, you know, screw him. But anyway, J.C. Horn, Izzy Mukwamu, R.J. Roderick, three starters in the, sec <clears throat> in the secondary all opted out after Muschamp got fired for, you know, whatever. And then after a scoreless first half, finally, what Gamecock fans have been pushed for all season, Colin Hill got taken out for Luke Doty. And, you know, Doty did spark the team a little bit. The defense played pretty well. 
got a bunch of stops that were needed, but it just came up a little short and Doty threw a, a just an unfortunate interception to end the game right there. So Missouri won 17-4 or 17-10. Then another ringer of a game, Georgia Bulldogs came to town. Did many those Bulldogs came to town led by the new quarterback, JT Daniels. Well, I guess not new at this point. He played Mississippi State uh, the week before, but JT Daniels was at the helm of that that offense now made it look way more explosive. And the game went, I mean, as pretty much everyone expected. Doty actually had a solid game for his first start in the SEC against one of the top defenses. But, I mean, UGA just, just had way more talent. Ended up rolling to a win, 45-16. I think they had somewhere around 350 yards on the ground. I mean, it was just – it wasn't even a competitive game. Yeah, we only, we only threw for like – 140 in that game. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, I mean, you don't have to when you yeah. just run. <laughs> I mean, James Cook had like six carries for like 150 or something. So, yeah, was, yeah. and then finally, last game of the season uh, against Kentucky in Lexington, which for some reason historically the Gamecocks never play that well in Lexington, Lexington, Lexington Kentucky. I don't know why, but. But anyways, that game, I mean, we barely had enough scholarship players to even go out there. Still did. Um, you know, had a bunch of walk-ons, had a bunch of uh, freshmen out there playing on defense. And so, they, I mean, they looked the way you'd expect them to look, which was not good. Uh, Luke Doty struggled a lot that game. He played much worse than he played against Georgia for some reason. I don't know if it was just – being away from Williams-Brice or what it was. I mean, the crowd couldn't have played that big of a role. But anyways, I mean, Kevin Harris had another 200-yard game, but it was just not near enough to uh, to stop Kentucky from rolling 41-18. to And that capped off the 2-8 and eight season. You know, again, it was a, just a extremely disappointing season from, you know, a talent standpoint. South Carolina had a bunch of talent. There was a bunch of a bunch of heat coming into the season that this would be, you know, a better year. I mean, you know, not, not a world breaking year, obviously, but a better year just with the talent. I mean, you got a couple of five stars across the defensive line. You have questions on offense for sure, but you have this uh, supposed, you know, top five, top 10 offensive coordinator, Mike Bobo, that was going to turn things around and all that stuff. Um, but I mean, there were some bright spots, you know, uh, Kevin Harris, he he popped off. He showed that he he's definitely an SEC back, definitely an every down back. Uh, Shai Smith played well. We force fed him a lot, um, so teams started kind of bracket covered covering him and and trying to take him out of the game, which happens sometimes. And you know, I don't know. And then another bright spot was the end of the Mustang era. Finally, I mean, it's just been getting worse and worse over the past few years. Uh, so it was just, it was time to move on. And, you know, I, I, I feel like Muschamp staff just did not get the most out of the talent that, that we had on the roster and left just a bunch to be desired. Because as I said, I mean, it's, it's a bunch of talented guys. I mean, not, not anywhere near Georgia or Clemson or Bama or anything like that, obviously, but, but way better than a two and eight team. And, you know, for for a defensive-minded coach that Muschamp was supposed to be, the defense was just pitiful all season. 
I mean, outside of the Auburn game, it was just it was just awful. And so I think and and the defense coming in the season, the defense was the more talented side of the ball. So I think that speaks more onto why Muschamp failed than even the win loss record. Because if you're a defensive minded head coach and your defense is shit, then it just like I mean, you, you just can't coach. So Yeah, you've you've lost all credibility at that point. Yeah. I mean, I mean just, it's not like it's not like he wasn't like intricately involved in the defensive game planning every week. Exactly. I don't think he called plays defensively, did he? I honestly don't know. Yeah, but I mean, the the point remains: if you're if you're hired to coach defense, be a defensive coach. Because, like you said, I don't think talent was the issue. I think obviously coming into the year, Izzy McQuamu's. I mean, in terms of the defensive scheme y'all run, it's mainly a cover three. He's huge at corner. I mean, he had a lot of success last year. There were obviously the Georgia game being the highlight of it, but he's a guy you look at saying this is a really good player. J.C. Horn opposite him is a legit DB, um, you know, and, and one of the better conferences in the country. I mean, then obviously the five stars, um, Birch, Zach Pickens. I thought Keir Thomas was a pretty good player to, on the D-line. I mean, Ernest Jones at linebackers everywhere. So, again, it's almost like we we understand there's some there's some issues offensively, you know, with not having, you know, maybe the, the most talented quarterback, obviously not having a ton of receivers. You don't know what the hell you're going to get out of Kevin Harris. But, I mean, defensively, like you said, it should have been a strength. Jamie Robinson, R.J. Roderick didn't even talk about them. These are, I mean, these are a lot of serviceable starters. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, not even to mention, you know, you got you got Burgeon Pickens five stars on the line. You got a guy in Rick Sandage who was a really high four star. He barely played. I don't know what if they didn't develop him correctly or, or what's going on with him. You got Joseph Anderson who has now transferred to Purdue, another really high four star. Uh, he didn't play much. You got Kingsley and Ibarre who I mean he he did have a really good year. Yeah. He was a high four-star. Yeah, he was a high four-star, and and he's played well. But you look at a guy like Zach Pickens, you look at his size, you look at his, you know, his his, his star caliber out of high school, and you think that's that's a guy that's going to make plays. And and he just didn't for whatever reason, for, you know, scheme reasons, development reasons. I don't know what it was, but they just didn't get the most out of the talent that they had, um, especially on Which the Which can be said for a lot of teams, honestly. I mean, yeah. it takes – yeah, there's a, I mean, it's it's one thing to have good players, but the the scheme and the coaching is, and I mean, not even so much developing guys. I mean, on game day, you you have to put your guys in the right position. And like you talked about against LSU, I mean, you're talking about a team that's coming off beating the hell out of Vandy. You get a huge win at home against Auburn. You're two and two. The ship, you know, you think everything's starting to get pointed back in the right direction, and then you have, you know, a guy in T.J. Finley that Auburn absolutely exposed defensively I mean the week after he did what he did to y'all yeah so it's almost like I understand LSU has has still I mean a fairly explosive offense just Terrace Marshall um you know among others but it's it's almost like what was the game like were were we were we celebrating the Auburn game and just forgot to prepare for LSU I mean that's what it looked like it was it and they played a, a like soft zone defense that you rarely ever saw them play. I mean, J.C. Horn is a man-up corner. 
don't don't put him in some little zone, you know, ten yards off the off the receiver defense. That's not where he's that's not where he's going to thrive at. He's a man up aggressive corner, and that's that goes for the the entire defense really. It was just soft, really. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know some. Oh, I, I was going to say that Auburn game is just eerily similar to the Georgia game last year because you get a huge win. I mean, obviously, Auburn was not near as good as Georgia was last year. But but either way, you get a huge win, a huge win that some people think that you weren't going to get. And then the rest of the season, you just you just don't win anymore. You, you know, it's it's either a turning point for the better or a turning point for the worst. And Muschamp always made it a turning point for the worst. <laughs> I feel like the team – kind of gave up towards, you know, the last three or four games too. Oh, like yeah. After, well, after, mean, the LSU, yeah. after the LSU thrashing. I think just... I think the kids kind of know. You know, well, it was, at, it at was... a certain point, they're like, you know, this is not going well. And then I, the, the, the talking starts behind your coach getting fired and the motivation is it's tough to get those guys up for a game every week. I mean. Yeah. And, I mean, you could only see that with the – 48 to three loss against Texas A&M and Texas A&M was good, but I mean, not that good. Like they're not like Bama or anything. I mean. Yeah. Especially offensively. I mean, Jalen Watermeyer, the tight end had probably 900 yards receiving just, just on like little five yard dig routes. Yeah. There was just no one around him. Yeah. Jacob, I'm going to be honest. I think that was a low point of the year for you. Texas A&M. Definitely. Oh yeah. That night you were, you were down hard. (laughs) (laughs) That was I mean, Clemson's, Clemson's on the TV next to him losing, and he can't even enjoy it. <laughs> I mean, that listen. Was a, that was a bad week for us, for listen, us all. Listen, the only reason why we didn't win is because we weren't – I mean, we didn't lose because we weren't playing. So, But it still was a bad week for, for Jacob. A, that night I felt – I mean, we Ubered Eats Wendy's really late because I think Buddy just needed a snack just to – Was just, just like – Some little pick-me-up. It just – it was just, like, emotionless. Like, you're just sitting there watching them score over and over, and you're just sitting there like – Oh, no, you were not emotionless. Just numb to it. Yeah. At, at, you, at, at some point – You showed a lot of emotion. Well, yeah. But, anyways, uh, some final stats for the season. Colin Hill, 1,400 yards, 59% completion, six touchdowns, six picks. Luke Doty, 400 nice. yards, 60% completion, two touchdowns, three picks. Kevin Harris, 1,100 yards – 6.2 per carry, 15 touchdowns. That's the bright spot. Shy Smith, 57 receptions, 630 yards, four touchdowns. He gone. Yep. Ernest Jones was the leading tackler with 86 total tackles. He's also gone. And then Kingsley Inabare had 30 tackles and six sacks, which at the time led the SEC until he missed the last couple of games with COVID. Um, but he is coming back, luckily. Um, but, you know, after this whole season – Gamecocks have since hired Shane Beamer to be the new head coach, obviously. And as of right now, he's still putting his staff together. It's mostly put together. Uh, they're looking for – they're still um, going to hire one more on-field coach and the O-line coach. And then the director of player development just left for Texas. So, that's another spot that opened up. Um, obviously, if, if people would stop taking people all y'all, off y'all staff, it'd be done. Oh, Yeah. Oh yeah, That's, that so you could say it's almost done. It's been done. It's it just for whatever yeah. reason people yeah. keep poaching the staff. Yeah, the staff's getting poached. But obviously, Beamer's made some off the wall hires. You know, a guy like Marcus Satterfield, 
assistant O-line coach for the Panthers. Uh, he worked with Matt Rule for, for a long time at Temple and then at Baylor. Um, but I think, honestly, the unconventional approach here could work out. You know, it could be a disaster, but I got my garnet glasses on and saying that, you know, it definitely could work out. Uh, but, you know, as for this 2020 season, I think it's time to leave it in the past and uh, hopefully move on to brighter days in the Beamer era. So. So I, I guess to, to wrap this up, your, your final letter grade on the season. F. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, I, hey, I mean, you know, I, I mean, as as I said, it was probably the most disappointing season I've ever watched as a Gamecock fan. Because you know, in 2015, that was a bad year. But you know, your your coach leaves midseason, and you know, most of that is due to him just he just stopped recruiting. So it's not like we had a bunch of talent and just lost all those games because we didn't have a coach. We lost we lost the games this year with talent, just with a bad coach. We had we had the potential to win. I mean, six seven, maybe. I mean, you know. I mean, if it wasn't an all conference schedule, I mean, y'all probably would have won four. Yeah, and done the exact same we did last four, season. Four or five. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could it could you know it could have been better if it was a regular year. But you, well, that's still not better games, though. At four still, games, there's kind of like a same better than a threshold year. of okay, it's been a crappy year with COVID, all the stuff. You could hold on to Muschamp and be another year in. You know, that's, so maybe, that's it's, true. That's maybe true. it's a blessing that, you know, kind of went down the way it did. I mean, the dude's wins were going down, you know, six and seven and four and eight, and now two and eight. It was just – it was. I mean, can, that man can recruit. That's about it. He can recruit, and then he just has a bunch of guys that their only goal is to get to the NFL, which is cool and all. But South Carolina, you need guys that actually want to be there because – as I've said before, it's not an easy place to win at. The reason we won, you know, in 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013 is because we got a bunch of guys that bought into the university that wanted to play there. And the guys that we had just didn't. You saw that with the people that opted out and, and you know, the people transferring and all that stuff. So, you know, it's time to let I mean, time and to I let think, the past die. I think to the, to the point about just having guys there for the NFL – Going to the NFL is a byproduct of collegiate success. I mean, you can be Kevin Harris and, and be the only guy on the field or on your side of the field doing anything positive and get drafted. But I mean, look at look at the really good teams like LSU last year. Their whole their whole team got drafted. Yeah. Was it because all of those guys were legitimate draft prospects? I mean, yes, but at the same time, it's because you have Joe Burrow out there spinning the bean. You got Jamar Chase, like you have some real superstar guys that are putting the focus on other players. You see, you know what I'm saying? So like yeah. your guys that aren't going to be first round picks, you have to have success around you to really foster any sort of, you know, NFL status. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess with all that <clears throat> over and done with, uh, we can move on to Clemson who had a little, a little yeah, bit I mean, better year. I mean, a little bit, a little <laughs> bit. Uh, depends on who you ask. Um, I'm not going to go as deep into every game, just more so of an overview of what we saw. Yeah. Obviously, 10-2 and two overall record, 9-1 and one in the ACC, six straight ACC title, six straight playoff appearance, 
um, another 6-0 undefeated homestand. Uh, so, I mean, all in all, another incredibly successful year. Um, I think offensively the biggest question I still have is that in fall camp you have Dabo Sweeney, uh, Tony Elliott, I mean, multiple offensive coaches saying, you know, we feel really, really confident about our offensive line. This is a this is an O-line that lost four starters off of the 2019 team. They're talking about the starting group might be the best we've had. We're just really concerned about the depth and all the freshmen behind them. So here I am going in the season thinking, hell, well, I mean, we have Trevor Lawrence. We have Travis Etienne. I mean, we don't have Justin Ross, but I'm really excited about Ladson and Ngata. Obviously, I know what I'm getting with Amari Rogers. They talk about Cornell Powell going off all fall. So it's almost like, you know, the pieces are there to be really, really good. And when you have Trevor Lawrence taking the snap, I mean, your your potential is pretty much unlimited. Um, so, I mean, I, and, I'm, and I think as the season went on, we saw the offensive line just was not very good, not very physical. Uh, so coach speak for Dabo, level 100 on that one. Um, and I think the offensive line, specifically the three interior spots, guard to guard, they were consistently inconsistent. That's probably the best way to put it. I mean, just pushed around. Um, and I think for me, the turning point in my expectations probably stemmed from Syracuse because I think the theme of the whole season was that, yes, we were winning. Yes, our offense was scoring points. Our defense was, you know, doing the usual, getting sacks. But we just were not as dominant. If you watch the games, we had trouble putting teams away all year. Virginia, they hung around to the fourth quarter. We ended up winning that game by 18. It did not feel like it. Syracuse, the same way. It took a scoop and score by Booth uh, the last play of the third quarter to put them away. I mean, I can go on and on, but there, there are a handful of instances where we just – we just didn't look like we were – there was just no energy. And I don't know if that's a product of just saying, hey, we're favored by 25 points. We'll go out there and play our B game and beat hell out of them. And I think to a lesser degree, it can be it can be said that when your offensive line is, you know, unable to get a push for arguably the best running back in college football history statistically, um, you're going to struggle. I mean – Syracuse coming off of that or going into that game, Syracuse played Liberty the week before. Liberty ran for 338 yards, absolutely gashed them. And here we are, can't even move them off the ball. So I'm thinking, okay, well, you're really limited offensively when your offensive line is not up to, to par of what, it, what it's been the last three years. So the week after that, obviously, Trevor Lawrence is out. Boston College, credit to their defensive tackles. I mean, schematically, they did some things to free those guys up. But at the same time, a Clemson offensive lineman probably shouldn't be getting consistently whooped by a guy in the middle from Boston College. And then Notre Dame the next week completely exposed us. Uh, so I think for all the the things that were said during fall camp, obviously at this point in the season, things are not going well. And then obviously we have a bye week after Notre Dame. Then the Florida State game gets canceled. So we have a three-week stretch between games. The, there is no shakeup in the lineup. There's absolutely nothing that was done on the offensive line to address the glaring issue there. Um, so, I mean, I think in, as far as pass protection goes, our offensive line was pretty solid. I think other than Ohio State at the end of the year, um, we were pretty good. Even against Notre Dame, I mean, in the, in the later part of that game, they started to get pressure on DJ. But other than that, I felt like we were pretty good at pass protection. Um, but again, the, the inability to create space for ETN is, is going to be the downfall of the offense, which is kind of credit to ETN. 
Go ahead. That's, that's, that's kind of weird because you think, I mean, for run blocking, you just have an assignment. You just go hit. You're going to hit this guy. You're going to the second level. You're hitting this linebacker. Pass protection is a little bit more technical, setting your feet. Yeah. You know, you have you know you have your assignments and all, but it's it's kind of odd to see the struggle in run blocking versus you know being pretty pretty above average in pass block. Yeah, and I think that is kind of an interesting dynamic. But I also think that you know we had we had a guy starting at right guard as a true sophomore. This guy didn't get a full off season. You know what I mean? Like he didn't have an off season in the weight room to prepare to be a starter. And I think the same could be said for a lot of teams where their offensive lines probably weren't as physical as you expected just because they didn't have that normal offseason. I mean, you come back in June and like we're, we're into camp, you know what I mean? So it's almost like, I feel like with a lot of our offensive line, these guys are, they just weren't that strong. I mean, like you said, pass block is more, more technical. So in a lot of ways, it's much more difficult than just, hat on a hat blocking yeah yeah so it's just strange that and that's that's something that we've addressed in recruiting is just getting bigger guys I mean hell if you can't if you can't get into your pass set and and know who to pick up know who to drop off at least go maul the guy in front of you like (laughs) so but again I you know when you have a guy like Travis Etienne and he's getting hit consistently at the line of scrimmage you're just going to wear him down and, I, I, and it was refreshing to see at the end of the year, we stopped beating our head against the wall. We started throwing the, the quick outs, the screens, doing the RPOs, the slants. I mean, quick throws that are just extensions of your run game because we have to do everything on the perimeter to open up the middle. That's uh, a good but, point you make. Because at, like, what point does a coach go, okay, this just we just flat out got to change what we're doing. We're not going to improve in the run game. You know what I'm saying? It took – it took – not all year, but it took a long time before you saw like a very noticeable schematic adjustment. I mean, it, it, it took us running ETN. I mean, what was it? 18, 19 times against Notre Dame for absolutely nothing. I mean, it it literally took Notre Dame beating the brakes off of our offensive line for 60 minutes plus some free football for us to be like, yeah, you know, maybe this just ain't going to cut it. How many uh, rushing yards did he end up having? ETN? Yeah. He, he ended up just over 900. And I think – Was that I career mean, low, obviously? Well, as a freshman, he was our four string and then kind of elevated himself about midseason. But he ended up with, with like 700 yards, uh, 730-something as a freshman. Um, it was the first time since 2017 that we didn't have a 1,000-yard rusher, but that's when you have – ETN and Feaster splitting carries. Adam Choice was getting carries. Kelly Bryant was very involved in the run game. So, I mean, it's just odd, though. But but to ETN's credit, I think he showed a ton of development as a pass catcher, a route runner, pass protection. He was much improved. So, I think there were a lot of – I mean, we know ETN can, can take the rock and tote that bitch. We know that. There's no doubt about it. So, I think when you see other facets of his game have to be incorporated in the offense, I think – you know, did he come back and prove, you know, things to NFL teams? Maybe, maybe not. But I, but I don't think he hurt himself by coming back, even though when you look at the stats, it was a down year, quote unquote. Um, but, you know, speaking of his backfield, mate, Trevor Lawrence, talk about the potential you have when that kid's your quarterback. He was phenomenal all year. I mean, he was, he was this was the most efficient season he's had in three years, third straight PFF grade over 90. 
I don't know what all goes into that, but there's not a whole lot of guys grading out 90 for a whole season, much less three seasons in a row. I don't think it's ever happened before. Um, and I think we know what Trevor Lawrence gives you post-snap. We know he can make all the throws. We know he's athletic and can run. But I think the thing that impressed me most of all was that this year, more so than last year especially, he was he was just very impressive pre-snap, adjusting his protections, getting us in the right play. And, you know, I think when you consider what he did, Justin Ross and Joe Ngata, those are your two outside guys. That's your boundary guy and your guy to the field. Those are your two alphas um, that are supposed to be your your starters. And neither of those guys were a factor all year. Obviously, Justin Rawlins put on pads all year. Um, so I think when you consider what he did, what Cornell Powell was able to do, obviously Amari Rogers stepped up and was huge, but, but Trevor Lawrence solidified himself as the number one pick. Um, so, I mean, offensively, I think there's a lot of good things that happened. But obviously, when your offensive line is is below average, certainly below playoff caliber, you're hindered offensively. So I think that's that's really what I come away from the season, just kind of wondering, how did we get to this point? I mean, it's obviously, you know, misses in recruiting from really from 2017 to 2019. Uh, you know, Jackson Carmen was the the star recruit of 2018 as a, as a tackle. But, I mean, other than him, you know, we were dipping into – you know, we were we were rating lower tier power five teams for for their commits or, or getting guys that didn't sign in the early period looking for just bodies with a pulse. So, I mean, I, I think it's a combination of things is how your offensive line gets there being a perennial playoff team. But again, at the end of the day, when you have two of the best players, arguably the two best players in college football in your offense, it's difficult to pin it all on the offensive line. Um, so, again, I think. I, not to say that we left a lot on the table offensively, but I think, again, after the Syracuse game, that three-week stretch with Syracuse, Boston College, and Notre Dame, you know, if you want to go back and listen to it, that's kind of where my expectations started to shift from this being a team where Trevor Lawrence can take us to the promised land again to where we are capped. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not in the sense that we, we can't win it, but here I am looking at Bama, who has five absolute units on the offensive line. I mean, they have a freaking fortress around Mac Jones at all times. You know how you be that. You know, you know how you get that efficient as a quarterback. Look at Joe Burrow last year. His team won the the Joe Moore Award. I think it's a Joe Moore Award for the best collective offensive line. Yeah, I want to say they had the second lowest pressure percentage in the country. LSU did last year. Guess who had the lowest pressure percentage in the country this year? It Bama. probably won't take you more than one guess. Bama. Yeah. <laughs> so. So, again, I mean, your offense begins and ends with the big boys up front. It's, you know, it's not sexy. It's, it's cooler to talk about the receivers and the running backs and the quarterbacks. But if you can't run the football, teams will key on it. And I think that was sort of our downfall against Ohio State is we realized that, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to bang ETN up the middle and, and, you know, hope he breaks one loose. We're going to have to do what we did last year and try and let Trevor Lawrence, you know, get to the outside and use his legs. Well, guess what? Ohio State remembered that shit. So if there's one thing they're not going to let beat them is Trevor Lawrence because they don't have to devote extra resources to the to the box to stop ETN. Teams put that on tape all year. You put yeah. six guys in the box, you fill your gaps, you'll probably win a one-on-one between our, our three interior linemen, and you'll blow up the play. I mean, The defensive line is usually stacked, too. They usually have a pretty yeah. solid D-line. Yeah. Um, so I guess moving forward, obviously we're losing, 
losing a lot of talent. Uh, another, I guess, obviously between Lawrence, Etienne, Rogers, and Powell, that's that's pretty much all of your offensive production. Uh, but obviously, it, in hindsight, I think it's really good that we got to see what we saw from DJ and his two games almost through for a thousand yards, four touchdowns, no picks. I felt I went back and watched these games and. To be honest with you, I really don't feel like he put the ball in danger much. It was very, not only efficient, but very cautious in the way that he was able to push the ball down the field and pick his spots. But, I mean, very impressed with him. So I, Yeah, I, think I, went, I went back and watched him play a little bit too on tape. And, I mean, dude has a rocket launcher of an arm. There were some throws. Like, there's a throw to, uh, to one of the tight ends in the end zone. And I couldn't even see the ball come out of his hand. And then it was just in but Notre Dame. Hand. Yeah. I mean, it was just. Yeah, he's 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 drifting to his right, throwing back yep. across his body to Davis Allen in the scene. Yep. That's a rope. Yeah. And he didn't I mean, even need just, to throw it hard. I mean, was, he's wide yeah, open. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was wide open, but it was just, I was like, dang, that dude does have an arm. Yeah. And there's it's a, a, there's a play. Easy. Yeah. Just a flick of the wrist. There's a play. Um, it's it's midway through the second quarter against Boston College, and it's when we realize we're we're in a damn dogfight. It's it's third and thirteen. He has Amari Rogers lined up in the slot. He's running the dig route to the sticks. Amari Rogers is not open. The ball literally just just found him. I don't know how he caught it to begin with, but but I mean he's he's moving to his left, and he he doesn't he doesn't point his feet. He just throws it kind of sidearm, and I mean it's kind of the no shit. The ball ball had to come out probably 65, 70 miles an hour. Yeah. So the back shoulder throw to Amari Rogers for the touchdown in that Boston College game later on. I mean, obviously the entire game against Notre Dame, just throwing BBs. So, again, it, it's difficult to say that I'm not concerned about quarterback after you lose a guy like Trevor Lawrence. But I have a lot more faith in the quarterback returning than I do the, the running backs. But that's yeah. a that's a story for another episode when we talk about 2021 um, but obviously we'll return six of our 11 starters on offense um, and again just to flesh this one out Cornell Powell is a guy that coming into this year had basically done nothing I mean he had a couple of spot duty touchdowns for backup quarterbacks but never really ran with the ones and this is a guy that from the tech game on I mean you see Amari Rogers in the first half of the season really exploding statistically yeah because he's the only guy that we're feeding the football to well, then, obviously, you have Tech and Syracuse. The Syracuse game, I mean, Cornell Powell comes out after his career game against Tech. In the first drive of the game, we throw him three consecutive passes, and on the last one, he scores a touchdown. Then the next game, he has, I think, 11 catches against Boston College because he was the guy that's running across the middle of the field, and DJ just finds him. Had another huge game against Notre Dame. I mean, in the playoff game, I talked about this last week. This, I mean, that guy was probably the only bright spot of the game. Yeah. I mean, he absolutely worked Sean Wade. <laughs> Sean so, Wade is trash. I mean, he put it, he put him on a <laughs> on a t-shirt. So, you know, to talk about a guy like Cornell Powell that out of high school was a was a big time recruit, had never really done anything in four years prior. I mean, this was a guy that got passed over in recruiting and was redshirted his junior year. So it, this is almost an afterthought. And then you have a guy like that just explode for almost 900 yards. I mean, he he became the alpha. So there's no telling how much money that kid made himself this fall. Just, a lot. I mean, 
just just by not transferring, showing up, playing with a quarterback. Competing. That, again, again, this is a guy that has no NFL stock, but you have a quarterback and players around you that are going to put the spotlight on you. And all you got to – I mean, it's easier said than done, obviously, but you got to take advantage of your opportunities. He stepped up and became the guy opposite Amari Rodgers that really gave our offense some sort of identity passing the football. Um, but, again, we'll return six of 11 starters. Uh, defensively, I mean, just a really young group. Obviously, we started two true freshmen on the defensive line, which is nice. But at the same time, there is an inherent issue when you're starting true freshmen on the defensive line because anytime you have young guys in the trenches, they just don't have the functional strength. Um, and especially um, for receive, we saw that when Tyler Davis was hurt on and off most of the season, uh, forcing us to some schematic changes where we mostly had to play a three-man front. And Brian Brissett playing, you know, the five technique, zero technique on it right over the center. He just he just couldn't hang for 60 minutes. And we didn't have the depth behind him to really swap guys in and out, which is uncharacteristic of a Clemson defense. Um, but, you know, I thought I thought Miles Murphy was arguably the best player on the defense, just in terms of what he did the whole season. Um, at defensive end, obviously, Xavier Thomas is still a huge question mark after a big freshman year seems like a decade ago um he didn't dress for the the ac championship or the or the playoff i mean so really he announced today that he's coming back to school but really don't know really don't know what we're going to get from him um we didn't play uh, justin foster didn't play a single snap this year um most of that was covid stuff um he's got pretty bad asthma from what i've read so they they held him out um didn't play at all so that's another he and Xavier Thomas, those are your two returning starting defensive ends off of the playoff team that were really, I mean, obviously Foster was a non-factor and, and Xavier Thomas was pretty much a non-factor. He really only had two or three games where he played enough snaps to really even notice he was in there. So, I mean. He was, uh, he was a factor in his new Call of Duty streaming career, though. I'll tell you what, <laughs> if he don't go to the league, he can, he can, he can, he can go somewhere with Twitch because he really can't play. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> But then, you know, you have to – you look at other five stars. Uh, Justin Maskell was a four-star guy out of South Gwinnett. He was a guy that came in as one of those long edge rushers that you just – they just need time to develop, put some weight on, get get violent with their hands. But then you have K.J. Henry, who's kind of in that same boat, but he's a former five-star. He seems to have more of the tools. And K.J. Henry, I think, understood kind of where he was as a freshman He he opted to redshirt. He he told the the coaches he was like, I know I need time in the weight room. Like I'm just I'm just not big enough to play at this level yet. So I mean, here we are as a junior or redshirt sophomore, and he just still plays weak. I mean, and I think that can't all be put on him, obviously. Um, but but at the same time, the expectations are for him are are probably higher than they would be for Maskell or you know, some of the other defensive ends we have. But, uh, you know, I, I think I think anytime you have young guys on the line, the functional strength is, is going to be an issue. So you have to assume that with the with a year in the weight room, a normal offseason, Miles Murphy and Brian Bercy are going to be exponentially better just because of the experience they had. There was a lot of good. Yeah. There was plenty of bad. But, you know, I think the biggest thing is that we developed a ton of depth from the defensive line. So when you normally – when you play the, the team with the Tiger Paw in their helmet, they normally got a bunch of dudes on the defensive line just rotating in and out. It never stops. 
So again, this is a year where our offensive line was had no depth and our starters were not that good. The defensive line, you could say the same thing. For the talent we have, the guys just aren't ready to play 60 minutes, uh, especially against the big boys. And we and we saw that from time to time. Uh, you know, linebacker though was a was a unit where we where we saw a ton of growth. You know, Skowski and uh, Specter are guys that we know about. Obviously, Skowski has been a starter, very productive player. Um, and I thought I thought Specter played really well. But when Skowski got hurt, and you have Specter trying to line everybody up, he was just not as productive. He he didn't play nearly as fast. Um, but I think the silver lining to Skowski and Mike Jones being out at the same time for about a month. I mean, Brent Venables does not play freshman linebackers very much. Really never. And we saw Trenton Simpson play a ton. He got thrown in the fire against um, against Notre Dame, and it was just sort of sink or swim. And, again, a lot of really good things, a lot of really bad things. But he ended up starting three of the last five games. He was used mostly as an edge rusher just because out of high school he played running back and when he did play defense, he was mainly as a defensive end, just because he's so much more athletic than guys in high school. Yeah. He was either going to run right by you, run right through you, or hit you with some sick spin move and put you on a tie like tape. Yeah, and you know, so I feel like a lot of people don't understand. You know, if you lose your your middle line, your Mike linebacker, you know, the guy, he's the quarterback of the defense. He's the guy that gets everybody in the right position. Yeah. He's the guy that knows the playbook. Hopefully, knows the playbook better than everyone else on the defense. So he's the guy that lines everybody up, and and when you lose that guy, you see you usually see a pretty big drop off on defense because the guys you know sometimes aren't in the right position or aren't lined up or don't know the play correctly and stuff like that. So I think that's that's a place where a lot of people don't really understand why you know you can't just throw anybody into that spot. Yeah, and I think when you when you look at the really really good middle linebackers, the ones that play on Sundays. Not only are they super athletic, but they they're smart. They know what they're looking at. Exactly. I don't know how much Clemson football you guys have watched, but Ben Bowlware was not athletic. He he was never <laughs> going to have an NFL career, but he was so effective because he knew what play you were running right. all the time. He was he got everybody in the right spot. And Skowski's a lot like that. He's more athletic than Bowlware, but he's he brings an energy man. That, yeah, and he's not a guy that's going to run sideline to sideline, but. But he is he is I mean he is as important as Trevor Lawrence was to the offense. Just because we had exactly. so many young guys. Exactly. So you got you got guys in the back end that are, you know, sophomore, second year players, retro freshmen. These guys are they they don't have the experience to know they might know the play call and they know, okay, well, this is my assignment, but they don't understand that when they motion and, and the way that the the structure of the offense shifts, that you have to shift with it. And I think we saw that consistently throughout the year is that Guys, being slow and playing slow are very different. So I think for us at safety specifically, our guys look really, really slow. And it's not because they're not athletic. I mean, you don't you don't get scholarship offers to major D1 programs like Clemson by being unathletic and fooling people. Right. I mean, sometimes you're just not in the right spot. And, and oftentimes, that's what it comes down to. You're, you know, you're, you're five yards lined up wrong. The dude over there, he's he's fast enough where he's going to outrun you. You just don't have the speed to make up angles like that. Um, so I think, but going back to Trenton Simpson, I think him getting thrown in the fire is is a really good thing because, you know, he he has the ability and the skill set to be a real difference maker at the second level. 
but we just don't trust him to play in space yet. So I think as he gets a full off season, he's another guy that could just explode as well as Murphy and Bercy. So having three true freshmen pretty much starting in your front seven, I mean, it bodes well for the future, no doubt. Um, and finally, I think, you know, in the secondary, obviously we lost everything. Darion Kendrick still only his second full season of playing defensive back. We lose A.J. Terrell. We lose Kayvon Wallace. We lose uh, Tanner Muse. We lose some dude named Isaiah Simmons. You might have heard of him. So, I mean, the secondary was really gutted. Uh, and D.K. came back and was really, really good to begin the year. Um, but as the season went on, he ended up in the doghouse or the love shack, as Dabo likes to refer to it. Um, I mean, you know, and, and you have Andrew Booth, who's probably the most talented guy in the secondary that showed a ton of upside, but just he was in one game, he was out dealing with nagging injuries. It just seemed like something all year where we never had our full defense healthy at one time. Um, but I think with both of those guys coming back, he and Darion Kendrick, on both sides of the field, that's a hell of a duo, especially facing ACC competition. Yep. Um, so then at safety, again, I think safety was more of an issue of playing slow versus being slow. Nolan Turner is not that fast, but he plays extremely fast. He led the team in, in picks just because he knows his assignment. He knows where he's supposed to be. He understands what, what needs to happen given what route concepts you're looking at. So, Again, I, I think, you know, despite returning all 11 starters next year, yes, these are all 11 guys that just got destroyed by Ohio State. But the way I'm – the silver lining to all of it is that you have so many young guys playing in the secondary, so many young guys at the point of attack on the defensive line. All we did this year was was really build depth, throw guys in, you sink or you swim, and, and a couple of them drown, let's be honest. But, you know – it's it, it. I think when you when you end up in the playoff and you go ten and two, you win your conference. There's there's really not much that else that needs to be said. So again, all in all, another extremely successful year. You'd you'd love to come back with a trophy, but it is what it is. You know, you you can't win them all. Um, but I sure. think we'll be we'll be set up in a position for for this coming year where we're going to be again probably the favorite in the ACC probably a surefire pick to be in the playoff barring, you know, total collapse. Um, so, I mean, overall, I would, I would give this season an A, not an A plus, but not a B. You end up in the playoff and I mean, beyond that expecting anything is uh, just, you're just setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you, you're returning all 11 stars on defense. You got guys that now have, a lot of experience, you know, Miles Murphy, Brian Brisset, or however you pronounce it, Andrew Booth, yeah. all those guys with a bunch of a bunch of experience. Now, they you you got to think that they're going to take a step forward. Uh, so the defense should be better than it was, which it was already good. You know, you lose Trevor Lawrence, but you're placing with another guy that has a cannon on his shoulder. Um, I think the biggest question is at running back, but. I mean, you got a bunch of guys that can do it. You just got to find which one's yeah. going to do it consistently. So, yeah, and figure out the offensive line. I mean, we're going to return four of those guys. Jackson Carmen left, and you know, I I picked on Jackson Carmen a lot, talking about how he hasn't really improved and you know things of that nature. But at the same time, 
we're going to replace him with Walker Parks, who is, from everything I've ever read about the dude, is a stud. So, I mean, really you're going to return four guys at the offensive line that started every game and then plug your your one NFL-bound guy with another really good prospect. So, yeah. But I think running back is really going to depend on what we can do up front. Because if, if not, then we're going to have to find a guy that, that has sort of the receiving skill set or the ability to play in space like like we did with Travis, just to just to create, you know, opportunities for the rest of the offense. Because right. You know, but, I think you know, and again, I, I think we've seen that this year and getting getting our asses handed to us by Ohio State is has changed the thinking from Dabo. I mean it's it's no longer no transfers ever. Now it's we'll vet them if there's a position need and there's a fit that we like, you know given the right time and the right place, we'll do it. Yeah, I mean, the transfer portal. is now coaching running backs. So, yeah, you know, we're at least as, as stagnant as we were this season during the year, we are making the moves and, and trying to position ourselves to where hopefully this won't happen again, where we're in a position to achieve all of our goals and just get blown off the field by a team that got blown off the field by the number one. So it's almost like we were we were a clear and distant third. We were as far away from Bama as as Notre Dame was, frankly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. And you know, you you say that you might need a running back that can you know make plays in the receiving game. And you know, we were talking about it a little bit earlier, but Will Shipley could be that guy, five star running back coming in. I don't know, but yeah, that's that's you know be. that's that's something for a podcast down the road. Um, yeah, we'll we'll get into that. Yeah, but anyways, you know, another successful season from Clemson didn't reach the ultimate goal necessarily, but you can't really, you know, there there aren't many blemishes on on the team this year per se. Um, but I guess with all that being said, we can move on to the Georgia Bulldogs, Davini. Man, I thought you never ask. Um, I'm gonna try to keep this is the one we've been waiting on. (laughs) Unfinished business, bro. Um, I'm just gonna try to keep it short and sweet. Uh, You know, I don't want to go on for 30 minutes. Um, But going into the year, uh, quarterback was gonna be a big question Um, with Jake Fromm leaving early. a guy named uh, Jamie Newman uh, transferred from uh, Wake Forest. You know who? I, I, <laughs> <laughs> who? Wait, who's that? The guy that thinks he's going to get drafted. Um, who? Anyway, uh, we had you know pretty much our whole defense returning. Uh, pretty much all uh, eleven starters coming back. Pretty much the whole offense, um, except a couple guys coming back, you know, and we thought Jamie Newman was going to be that missing piece. Um, but, you know, uh, turns out um, either a scout was in his ear or he just got scared. He opted out before the first game of the season, weeks before the first game of the season, actually. Uh, so old uh, Stetson Bennett, a.k.a. the mailman, had to step up. This man the mailman. was a scout team quarterback. <laughs> His freshman year at Georgia. Walk Everyone's on. favorite postal worker. 
Um, transferred uh, to JUCO, uh, led the league in interceptions, and still was welcomed back uh, to Georgia for some reason uh, as a junior, um, which, you know, granted, he wasn't expected to be the guy, obviously. He was the third string, um, you know, because as of now, the transfer JT came early, but uh, we knew he wasn't going to play right off the bat, so Stetson had to step up early. Um, and he did the first couple of games. Um, didn't play terrible. Didn't play great. It's kind of a game game manager style. Um, fun fact uh, of the year: we started our first points of the year were safety, and our last points of the year were safety. Um, wow, that's actually pretty cool, right there. Yeah, it's pretty pretty interesting. Um, but no, uh, you know, like I said in the beginning, Stetson uh, looked like the guy because Dwan actually started. Um, it turned out to be absolute poopy. Um, <laughs> he was athletic, just that's an opinion. Didn't eh. <laughs> it's a very strong opinion. Don't give him a chance. Don't give him a chance to rule <laughs> on the off. Well, he walked up on there and got the first snaps of the year, and uh, you know, he got outplayed by Juco quarterback, so you know, um. But, yeah, uh, Stetson came in, was a little productive when needed to be, beat Arkansas pretty well, you know, effed up Auburn like I love doing every year. Um, then we played Tennessee, beat them pretty handedly. Um, and then we played Alabama in Tuscaloosa. And, um, you know, that showed uh, why Alabama's, you know, been the best team or one of the best teams in college football for the past 10 years. Um, they studied tape on Stetson. They knew he was – couldn't really throw outside the numbers. And also, <laughs> they knew, uh, coached up the defensive linemen to jump up and bat the ball. They had seven deflected yeah. passes that game. Yeah, I mean, Saban, Saban was like, look, this kid's 5'11". Just yeah. get your hand up. And, and, that's, and that's what they did. And that's what happened. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's actually funny. I remember sending a Snapchat during halftime. And I was like, we're up, but that don't mean shit because we've been up at halftime the last couple of times we played them and lost every single time. So, Well, I mean, Nick um, Saban is, is the master of halftime adjustments. He is. But that's is. a little off topic. But anyways. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, Bama kind of exposed Stetson there for a little bit. Um, also, you know, around that time, we, we got to see a bunch of younger guys finally, you know, step up and get some playing time. Jalen Carter on the D-line, uh, he stepped up big this year. Um, he actually played the third most snaps out of the D-tackles as a freshman. I'm excited to see what he has in store next year. Um, we'll, see, we'll see on uh, September 4th, I think. <laughs> yeah, we are. We are going to see. Um, but, you know, we had a couple guys in the secondary, not, not many, though, because we had a bunch of veteran guys back there. Uh, Major Burns was a freshman. He got a little bit of playing time. Um, but, yeah, offensive, you know, kind of plummeted after that um, Alabama game, really. Um, after that uh, – we had to play, I think it was, um, 
Oh, who was it? I don't remember off the top of my head, but um, a couple weeks later, oh, we played Kentucky after Alabama, and Stetson had another horrible game. Uh, only reason we scored was because of our rushing attack. Uh, and then we played Florida, and uh, y'all saw how that went. Um, leaned up, you know, it's the Alabama and Florida games. You know, I thought they were going to be pretty decent. I thought, I thought our defense was going to do pretty well, and uh, our secondary really struggled against, you know, that elite uh, passing offense that Alabama and Florida had. Um, there wasn't much to say. Uh, Stetson really just showed that he was a guy that just was a filler. He really didn't – obviously – didn't have that much athleticism and, and whatnot, but, you know, it is what it is. JT finally was healthy, came in the last four games of the year, you know, show why he was a top recruit and played as a freshman at USC. Um, you know, hopefully he can have that same production against. You know, uh, I think – going into next year. I think What's as up? bad as it, as it was – watching Kyle Trask just pick defense apart and then watching Stetson and, and Dewan Mathis go, what was it like combined, like after the, the touchdown to, to Rosemary where he, you know, broke his whole, whole body. Um, <laughs> after that, after that, I want to, I want to say you gave this stat and this is probably wrong, but it was something like um, Bennett and Mathis combined to go like 0 for 11 on passes of more than 15 yards after that. Yeah, it and, was and I can remember, I can remember off the top of my head, there were three, maybe even four, not maybe not touchdowns, but big gains that all you had to do was put it near the guy. Yep. And neither one of them could hit the broadside of a barn. So as bad as it sucks to to have to watch that, I think that's the point where the coaches are like, all right, JT, you, you, there's no other excuse. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you've had long enough. I mean, the thing is, like, Georgia has – Playmakers at wideout. I mean, they have playmakers now than than we we have we have at wide receiver. I mean, it's crazy. We haven't had this much in a long time. I mean, just between your stars of of Pickens, Jackson, and Burton, that's that's three dudes who can really get it done. Don't forget about three dudes. That's three dudes that can be that can be ones uh, anywhere else. What's the kid Smith? Um, I think he might have been a freshman. Aaron. That man yeah, the dude that can burn. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but the thing is, like, you just need a dude back there that's going to deal it to them. And, and for whatever reason, Dwan Mathis and Stetson couldn't do it. But, I mean, those those guys are going to be open. Those guys are very talented receivers. So, you get a guy like JT Daniels who is efficient with the ball. He doesn't put the ball in trouble. He just gets it to the playmakers. And you got yourself you got yourself a quarterback that's going to win a lot of games. Yeah. And also uh... – I don't know why, but Stetson didn't like throwing to, uh, you know, Pickens at all, which was shocking. Because Pickens, Pickens wasn't running between the hashes. <laughs> exactly. He probably arguably the best, you know, overall player on offense. Probably one of the best on the team if you're just grading by position. Um, and uh, which it, Kiaris Jackson uh, had a big year early on in the year. And that, you know, I think it was out of everybody's year, I think Kiaris improved his stock more than anyone because yeah, he I showed mean, he was, that he can be yeah, a solid slot guy. And 
produce, you know, from the inside. Um, but yeah, uh, wide receiver depth's been great. Uh, you know, got a lot of young talent. Uh, Jermaine stepped up, was uh, third in receiving this year with 400 yards as a freshman. Yeah, I mean, and after he uh, didn't, he didn't do much for the first almost it felt like half the season he didn't really get the ball that much and then started getting the ball and saw that he's five <laughs> yeah and Mar- Marcus Roseme looked pretty damn good too when he yeah played a little bit and, and they're just guys you know, everywhere snapped his ankle um yeah yeah that was bad <laughs> and Blaylock didn't play all year because he tore he tore his ACL again so yeah. um that kid yeah I hate it for him but you know it happens. Um, yeah, wide, wide receiver room's looking looking good next year. But, uh, you know, going back to the season recap, or I was really shocked at how our secondary played against uh, those big games. You know, coming in, Eric Stokes and Tyson Campbell have been getting snaps since freshman year when they came in. Um, it's, you know – they were big time recruits, especially Campbell. Um, I'm pretty sure him and Sertan were one and two in the recruiting class. Um, so, you know, it was kind of disappointing to count. Veteran guy back there has been playing for a long time, four year, four year guy, and he just got shredded against Alabama and Florida. Um, you know, but Alabama. Who but who did? <laughs> I know, I know, but, you know, you, you kind of wish it wasn't as bad as it was. Our offense surely didn't help out with Stetson at quarterback, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, and then pretty much when JT took over our offense, just was, you know, on all cylinders. You know, granted, we only played Mississippi State, South Carolina, Missouri, those last three games of the regular season, but um, he stepped up big, 1,200 yards, 10 touchdowns, two picks, 67% completion. His Take rating that all day. Yeah, his passer rating was like 148 or something. You know, so he yeah, was I mean, a, shit. He he played four games a, and and had as many yards as Colin Hill had. He had more yards than Stetson had. <laughs> and more touchdowns in four games and Stetson played five. Yeah. Or six. Stetson played six games and had eight touchdowns and six picks. So, you know, it's. I mean, it, that's not bad for a postal worker. <laughs> yeah. For a mailman. Yeah. I mean, you know, it is what it is. All yeah. he was doing was dropping off the mail. I mean, he. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was average enough to get you through games you needed him to. <laughs> did he beat Auburn for you? Yeah. Yes, he did. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that was a good win, um, you know. But I wish, obviously, you can wish JT would man up a little earlier in the season and try to play against Florida or whatever. But, you know, it is what it is. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Yeah, um, and I mean, JT played really well against Cincinnati. He had a really good defense. I mean, he was he was kind of forced into it because the running game couldn't get going for whatever reason that – we won't talk about it again on the podcast because we've already discussed it at length. But 
you know, I mean, he threw for 400 yards in that game against a solid Cincinnati defense, came out with a win. So, I mean, you got you got to feel good going forward with, with JT Daniels. Yeah, I do, uh, for sure, especially after the first part of last year. I didn't think we were ever going to have a quarterback, um, you know, which, I mean, we've never really had – really since, I mean, from and – Aaron Murray were good, but, I mean, they're not guys that are going to put a team on their shoulders, you know. Yeah. Aaron Murray did lead, you know, categories in the SEC, but that's because he started all four years. Right. Um, and Fromm did what he had to do. With Granted, he had one of the best defenses I've seen um, in a while in 2017. So, you know. But, I mean, now you got a guy that can throw it around the yard. You got, yeah, an, actual, we, we, you got an actual quarterback. Yeah. I think this year we're, you know, going to transition to what all of college football is transitioning to, and that's just a like air raid offense. Yeah, I mean, throw, throw mind. that, throw that just bitch throw, all over the place. Yeah, throw <laughs> the hell out of it. You know, these past two years, LSU and Alabama have shown that if you put up, you know, at least forty points a game, don't matter how much points your defense gives up. I mean, you're probably going to yeah. win. Yeah. I mean, it's just offense is progressively any more important than defense you know it's weird because that's never been the case with us growing up we always grew up with defense wins championships yeah defense wins you games um not anymore not anymore that's for sure um yeah i mean it was what's your grade (laughs) uh first half of the year you got to go the whole year the whole year I mean, for, I mean, I'll put it together. I mean, first half of the year was probably a B minus. Last half was probably A minus. I'd probably give it a B plus overall. Yeah, that's exactly um, the grade I had in my head for y'all too. Not, not A worthy because um, we lost the biggest games of the year. Um, you know, B plus. It, it would have been B if we lost Cincinnati, but we beat a good Cincinnati team. Yep. To finish the year out, so um, it's still not an A. Yeah. Um. I, I will say this though, um, our how bad our secondary played. Um, they only gave up more than 300 yards in the air to three teams, you know, to Alabama, Florida, and the other ones, Mississippi State. Uh, our rushing defense was retarded this year. Um, they set a school low since Kirby started coaching at Georgia, 72 yards per game on the ground against opposing teams. Um, only two teams rushed for over 100 yards against our defense all year in the SEC. That's pretty good. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd take that. One was Alabama and one was Kentucky, you know. But Kentucky ran the ball 40 times and only got 130 yards. You know, Alabama ran the ball 43 times and got 147 yards. So, you know, those 100-yard games are coming with – a shit ton of carries. Yeah. Um, and we, I mean, like Jacob said, Kevin Harris is probably arguably him and Najee were the best running backs in the SEC. We held him to 52 yards rushing off like 17, 18 carries. Mm-hmm. And Roundtree, who averaged 90 yards a game or something like that, we held him to like six or 14. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the defense is always I mean, good. The, the, the rush defense has always been there, but the, the secondary is what has always been our fault. I feel like the past 
couple years and we saw that, you know, against the, you know, the big SEC games and even in the championship game in the playoffs where we just get shredded in the air um, or that's what loses the game. Um, but, yeah, overall offense was interesting. Uh, the running game wasn't, you know, what I was hoping it was going to be. Uh, James Cook still wasn't really utilized in throwing out of the backfield until the Alabama game, really. Alabama games when he really had his career game, had his first receiving touchdown of the year and whatnot. Zeus is still running just like – He's very inconsistent. Like some runs, he'll look like old Zeus, and then some runs you're like hit the hole, my guy. What do you? What do you? Yeah. So this year is going to uh, coming up is going to be a big year for Zamir now that he's coming back. I mean, he's he's got to prove that he's the guy, and if he doesn't, he's going to get his spot's going to get taken because there's a you know a couple young guys that can tote the rock. Uh, with Milton and McIntosh, they proved that they're ready to play, and they're also good catching the ball out of the backfield, as good as Cook is. Um, so we'll see. I mean, it was kind of a down year in rushing in the rushing offense. Lee Rusher only had 744 yards, um, which is something we haven't seen in a while at UGA. Um, another thing that needs to be better uh, this year coming up is pass protection. Uh, the only running back they can block on passing plays uh, that had over a 50 grade was James Cook. McIntosh really? had McIntosh had like a 10 grade in, oh, pass, no. <laughs> in pass pro. Milton had like a 20 and Zamir had like a 40. They do not know how to block in pass protection. So I hope they address that in spring. I hope Munkin just tells them not to be idiots and just get in front of the linebacker. I don't care. They'll probably can... fix it. Just don't be an idiot. Yeah, I, I <laughs> just I mean, stop being an idiot. At, at least just run in front of him. I don't care if he trucks you; just slow him down. Yeah, like, just just they're carry they're, him for the ride if you. Yeah, trying. exactly. There are plays where they the defensive end would literally just swim, move around them, and go right to the quarterback. But yeah, um, they don't want a pass block; they want the ball. Exactly. Um, which I I wouldn't be shocked to see a transfer out of that room. Um. Later in the next couple months, but you know, if no one does, I'll be super pumped. Um, I mean, you'll see more transfers after spring, so that's always a possibility. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I mean, other other than that, I don't really have much else to say. It was kind of a a crappy year with the hype behind it, but you know, we have hype every year, so. Um, yeah, I mean, you got unfinished business now. Well, for the first it's time in a couple of years, you've got unfinished business. Yeah, bro. Unfinished business for the first time ever. Um, you heard it here first. But, but yeah, I mean, um, so we got we got an F grade. We got an F grade from South Carolina. We got an A from Clemson, a B plus from Georgia. And now we're down to Georgia Tech, Sid. As Bring long us as, home. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um kind of think about like you know where to start you see obviously record we went three and seven this year compared to three and nine last last year so I mean it's easy to look and say we didn't see a whole lot of progress but if I look at it um just stats wise and 
and thinking back to each game, I mean, there was obviously an improvement. Obviously, we, we have a quarterback now, and, um, yeah, he made a lot of freshman mistakes. Uh, he had a lot of tipped passes for interceptions. He also threw just a, made some bad decisions through interceptions. I think he had 13. He had just as many interceptions as he did touchdown passes. So um, my thing with Jeff is I'm more interested to see the jump he makes from freshman year to next year. Our offensive line will be noticeably better. This past year, I mean, um, it was all right. Jordan Williams starting at, at right tackle was, um, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised. He's just a big old dude. The staff is really high on him. Brent Key talks a lot about him, and he's he's high on Jordan. So if Brent, if Brent thinks that he's going to be a stud, I feel like, you know, that's probably what's going to happen because Brent, Brent's built – some some pretty impressive offensive lines at previous stops, and he's coached a lot of good offensive linemen. So, um, as a unit, they were okay. It was just weird. We could never put a good game together as a unit. I mean, we would have four guys playing really well and one guy just getting absolutely abused. Typically, it was either Jack DeFore at left guard or Zach Coyne at left tackle, and then those guys would have a good game together and Jordan would just have a bad game. So, um I don't know what the deal with that was. We, we, we definitely had improvement on offense. Um, starting off with the Florida State game, I mean, came out there thinking, wow, maybe we'll be a much better team this year. Offense looked good. Jeff made two bad, poor decisions. But other than that, I was like, I mean, true freshman quarterback, he'll be all right. Um, we didn't have Jameer that game. I think he either had a hamstring injury or it was in the COVID protocol. But <clears throat> anyways, he didn't play. So it was – Jemias and Jordan playing that game before Jordan Mason actually broke his foot in that in, at the end of that game. But um, we started out uh, pretty well. I, I thought that the play calling was was good at the beginning of the year. Um, that was another thing that was just inconsistent. I would I would think some great some games I would give Dave Patnode an A on play calling, and then some games I would just be super confused as what we were trying to do and. I mean, you you know, you'd almost want to give him just an F just thinking about, like, I'm not really sure what was going on there. So, Florida State, I felt was good. We got him in a good rhythm. Um, obviously, Florida State's not a good team, but we did just play much better. We That was where the glaring issue started, though, was the inability to finish drives. We got into the red zone um, countless times and passed, you know, the Florida State 30, and we just couldn't finish. Obviously, we had blocked kicks, missed kicks. Couldn't get the ball in the end zone. So, got lucky to come out of there with a win. Um, obviously, Florida State is who they are, but I was glad to see they have it. One thing they did have was a pretty decent uh, defensive line. They have, have a pretty athletic front. And, I mean, we, we played well against it. So, I was excited. And then going into that UCF game, um, our, we just – we started fast again, like we in most of these games, and then we turned the ball over on the opening drive as we're, or I'm sorry, it was the second drive. The first drive, we marched right down the field and scored, and that was the first game where we saw Jameer. He uh, about housed the opening kickoff. He had two long runs. Um, I think he had three touchdowns that game. He had two rushing and one in the air. That was where we first kind of glimpsed, like, this kid could be special. And um, defensively, Dude, we just got torched. I think that, that was where I started to become concerned about our secondary because our UCF's really fast, but 
we couldn't keep up. And they were just throwing bombs. I mean, Dylan Gabriel was just throwing bombs the whole game. So we did that um, all year. So yeah, I, I mean, that's something they're good at. That's what they do. That, exactly. that, that is absolutely that's, what that's, they do. That's they, their offense. They line up fast and they throw downfield. I mean, yeah. he just throws bombs. So I was, you know, obviously not shocked to see it happen. I was hoping that we get a little bit better play out of our cornerbacks because I thought it was going to be a strength with Trey. And uh, Zamari, which Zamari ended up being the best cornerback we had all year. Um, he he played really, really well. He graded out pretty well. <clears throat> Trey didn't play a whole lot, but Trey didn't have as good as you thought he was going to. But um, that turf toe injury, I, I think that really kind of sets you back. Um, so then after the UCF game, I mean, UCF, I didn't feel like we got blown out. We could just kind of let things go, and the score kind of got away quick, and that can happen with UCF. And then we had issues on offense, again, finishing drives, putting the ball in the end zone. So, I mean, I wasn't too concerned at that point. I thought UCF was a pretty good team at that at that point. And then we go into Syracuse, and I'm not – I really just don't know what happened. I mean, um, we just showed up, and it was a weird game from the start, and I just had a bad feeling. And we really – it was just like we didn't – didn't even show up, didn't prepare the whole week. Um, uh, just turnovers. And I mean, they took one out of UCS page and we, we'd finally put the ball in the end zone and they'd go, they'd score on two plays. One was a long touchdown, you know, on the second one. So it's just like, you couldn't get any momentum going, playing in front of no crowd and the carrier dome. It was just, I don't know, very, that was a frustrating day. So, um, then we went into Louisville, and obviously Louisville turned out to be, you know, a pretty bad team this year. But we played pretty well. We moved the ball up and down the field. We put up, like, a season high of 46 points. Um, Jam uh, yeah, Jameer played really, really well. Jeff played well. We made some big plays, and I thought our offense looked at what I want it to look like and what I feel like what the coaches want it to look like, as in – we spread the ball around. We uh, threw to Malachi a lot. Threw to Adonicus had some receptions, and obviously Jalen Camp. But at this point, I think I started to see the the glaring issue of not being able to get our best guys in space with the ball. And Amarian Brown, I mean, he was just nowhere to be found. He's he's top three fastest guys in all of college football. I, I mean, he the dude can just run. But I mean, he's. He's obviously a little guy, but you still got to find a way to get him the ball. We do really weird things where we we run a trips formation, and instead of running the screen to him and having Jalen Camp block, we'd swap him and run it to Jalen and having Amarian, a guy that is one of the smallest guys on the field, trying to block, and it just would get blown up. So there's just some weird things that you just look at and go, what are we trying to do here? Because it just doesn't seem like it's going to run from the get-go, but – Anyways, played good. I felt pretty good about that win. To be two and two at the beginning of the year with what we've been going through with this transition, I felt good about it. And then that was quickly uh, shot down by the sh just ass beating we took from Clemson. Like, I mean, we just got it hard, and it was it was rough to see. They 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 gave us that prison loving, and Dabo made sure that you know Jeff was gonna kind of get the message and uh, obviously loud and clear that he don't care for Jeff, which is fine. 
So uh, at that point, I think that's when your season starts to go south because guys just go, we just got our ass beat. I mean, you know, Clemson's going to be playing and in in the playoffs, but you you still don't think it should happen like that. So, um, uh, that was that was tough to see. That was a low point. And then Boston College was another game. We just came out first drive. We looked good. We get it down to the thirty, and once again we turned the ball over. Um, at this point, we still have no kicking game. So you know, once you get in inside the thirty, you're gonna go for it on fourth down because you can't kick it. I mean, we, we can't we can't even get extra points off. We can't even make extra points. We literally do not have kickers. So in that game, we got off to a good start, and then it just went downhill. I mean, we could not stop anybody. It was just like Syracuse. We could not stop the run. They they shredded our defense in the run game, and it makes no sense. Um, so uh, that was a that was a rough night. Jeff made some poor decisions. We saw James Graham for the first time. After Jeff got a little banged up, and I think Jeff just needed to be sat for a little bit, but got James some film. Really, a lot of people believe this just to get him some film to transfer out, and that's, ended, that's what ended up happening. So, um, so at that point, we're two and four, and obviously we have another top-ranked team, which they ended up not being who people think they are. But, I mean, Notre Dame had a pretty solid year, and, they're just a squad that's hard to beat. They're not going to blow you out, but they're they're going to play competitive football, and that's what happened. And yeah, it was close. It was a good game. Um, towards the end, we just again let things go, and the score got away from us. Um, another issue of not being able to put the ball in the end zone uh, when you can't kick and you consistently get the ball inside the forty, and you just waste it. Um, it was disappointing. It was really frustrating. So, defense actually played a decent game for for what it was, and uh, then we move into Duke, which is just an obvious win. You, you got to win that game. And we we just did stupid things to keep the game closed for a while. But we really – we actually, that was our season high. We put 56 points on a terrible team. So, I mean, that was good to see, to move to three and five. And then North Carolina State, another game. We just get up there and start slow. We, I mean, we drive the ball and can't put it in the end zone. I mean, that was the story of our life this year. So um, that was another frustrating game. Should have been able to – I mean, NC State's not that bad of a team, but they also weren't that great. We beat them last year. They were better than, obviously, they were last year, but still a game we shouldn't lose. We played terrible on the road. If you look at it, we were, um, I think, two and four on the road. So – or no, two and – one and three. I'm sorry. Yeah, we were one and three on the road. For whatever reason, we get on the road and just forget how to play football. So um, that's obviously an issue we got to address. So then after NC State, uh, had some games get canceled. You know, should have played Miami. And then uh, we played Pitt. And I don't, that, that game was probably the maddest I've ever been in a game. Uh, not saying it would have made a difference. But it was the worst officiated game I've ever seen. So it was really hard for me to judge a whole lot based on what I saw. Um, so lost that game, ended up at three and seven. So like I said, if you look at that record, you think not a whole lot of improvement, but uh, we, this past year in points four, we were 95th out of 127. That's up from 113th last year. So um, 
that's that's a vast improvement considering all we did was basically change quarterback and run a, one running back. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's, like better, you, that's better than nothing. Yeah, yeah like you fine. said, like you said, there's a lot of games that the score might not say it, but they're they're closer than the score suggests. But you just couldn't you couldn't get in the end zone. Like yeah, you got I mean, you got the pieces. Jeff Sims, there's so I think, many games. Yeah, there's so many games where I think there are three games where we outscored the other team. I mean, out gained the other team in yardage and like by a, a decent margin, but the points aren't there to show for it. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you, I mean, you're not getting the job done, but it's frustrating at how much we improved on offense, but the scoring is just not there. Right. Right. I mean, we have the weapons. Jameer, obviously, I think he's one of the better backs in the league now that, Travis is leaving and Michael Carter's leaving and Javante Williams is leaving or whatever. I think it's yeah. Yeah. Um, so I mean, we have him. I think Jeff will make a big jump, but quarterback play obviously has to get more consistent with the turnovers. But we would just get inside the 30. And for one, I didn't care for play calling inside the 30. It, I mean, obviously it condenses the field and 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 significantly condenses your book when you're inside the red zone but uh it's just that was super frustrating well, and, and you know one of the one of the biggest things is that obviously last year we don't have a quarterback I mean you have a bunch of running backs that are changing positions a lot of guys yes. that are moved from offense to defense you have zero so offensive you, linemen yeah so not only do you have a roster that's in just disarray but you have no offensive identity at right. least this year with bad play calling and, you know, games that got away from you, at least there was an identity. There was there was a uh, a concerted effort to try and run the football, to try and run a lot of these spread concepts. Like like you said, it's frustrating when it doesn't show up on the on the stat sheet. But at the same time, if you watch the game and you know what you're looking at, it didn't look nearly as discombobulated. No. You know, maybe – a three and out, not all three and outs are created equally. Right. So, yeah. I mean. I, I, I agree. I mean, the first year, 2019, we had zero offensive identity. I mean, our identity was run the ball with Jordan Mason or James Graham was going to flip it deep to Amari and Brown, and he's probably going to be open or he's just going to run around with the ball. I mean, or he was going to throw it in the ground six feet in front of him while someone's wide open. I mean, that was – I mean, we just had nothing. It was just a, a hodgepodge of athletes running around out there, and maybe we'll get positive yardage out of it, but we didn't do a whole lot of that. So, this past year, we looked like a football team on offense. We just couldn't get out of our own way. Um, the other thing that disappoints me about this past year is penalties. Uh, discipline is way down. For whatever reason, um, we – we just false starts, pre-snap, procedural penalties, just a lot of discipline issues that I, I think just have to be cleaned up. And, I mean, I know it's a different day and coaches coach different, but you just – you get you got to clean up the whole discipline thing because you're not going to get far with consistently shooting yourself in the foot, especially – I mean, we did it in every game that I can think of. I can think of a time when we get inside the 20, we're driving the ball – and on our first and 10, we fall start and we're back to first and 15. And then, you know, we end up either trying to kick a field goal or going forward on fourth down. 
just that kind of shit just was so frustrating to see. So, um, I mean, I, that's offensively. Defensively, I, I don't understand. We, we definitely progressed offensively. Defensively, we took a step back, and it, it really don't make sense. I mean, we didn't lose a lot. We had the same guys. Yeah, Tariq had two wrist surgeries right before the season. He got fat. He got like – he was up 40 pounds, and he oh, just wasn't the – he just he wasn't the same guy as as a safety. I mean, he he usually is all over the place. He plays close to the line of scrimmage, and he's really physical. Like he 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 lays the wood, but he had two wrist surgeries at the same time, and just couldn't do much right before the season. So he just he was often out of position. He was slower. He used to be the fastest guy, on the, one of the fastest guys on the team besides Amari, and when he was there, he just wasn't there. So um, I, I think. A lot of gut things got in the, these guys' heads with this whole COVID thing of it. And then, you know, um, with all the, the social issues and stuff around football, like a, a lot of those guys were always vocal about it on Twitter and stuff, which rightfully so. I, I do think it, it took away from their football um, preparation and what, and what they did week to week. Um, not saying they were totally out of it, but they weren't 100% in it. And – like a guy like Wanye, I mean, his freshman and sophomore year, he was going to be one of the – he was projected to be like one of the best safeties. We had one of the best back uh, defensive backfields in the ACC projected before the, before the season. So there was no reason for such a decline in their performance other than, I mean, I, I don't think the coach is bad. I, I think we have a good defensive-minded coaches, especially with Jeff. That's Jeff's specialty is secondary, especially – cornerbacks and I, I just I don't really know so it just wasn't right from the beginning and Wanye kind of really never never recovered uh there were just plenty of times where he was out of position or um he didn't play the ball in the air we played the ball in the air the worst out of anybody as a combined team I'll I'll take that to the bank I promise you nobody played the ball in the air worse than our secondary this year there were so many times I'm like oh pick and they just missed the ball, and it's a completion, or yeah, it was just mind-boggling. So that's so hard to watch. It, it just happened. I mean, Sam probably remembers the NC State one when we played NC State, and Wanye should have had an easy pick, and he jumped too soon. And it's just like, at at this point, I mean, this this not the kind of thing that can happen. I mean, yeah, here every once in a while, but when it's consistently happening, so. Um, the nickel position was kind of a bright spot. Caleb Oliver, he he consistently played well. Um, linebacker play is terrible. It was atrocious. David Curry, uh, thanks for all the effort, pal. <laughs> and it's really not your fault. It, it's not. It's God just he doesn't make us all the same. And he, that he, man he should, has he gotten should have transferred and. Uh, somewhere else and play that man's up. gotten shit on on this podcast so many times yeah I, I and i hate i respect him he gave everything he had every game i mean the dude broke his hand against the pit game because he was so mad that he got a penalty like he he wanted it bad at the end of the day he was playing d1 football and we're yeah. here so yeah, hey, know, yeah, absolutely. i'm sitting here you know, talking through a computer about some other guy while he was playing college football that's fine i think he'll be probably a good coach um, I don't think it was in the cards for him as a player. And <laughs> that is what it is. Hey, he led our team in tackles. He had some good games, but there was just consistently a time where he was out of position and he, you know, just, he, 
he he didn't have the linebacker instincts that you got to have as a D1 football linebacker. Well, yeah, I mean, and he like – into- he came in to play safety and is converted to linebacker, and he's already limited athletically. So when you're in that position as a linebacker, you have to be in the right position if you're limited. You know what I'm saying? But if you're already putting yeah. yourself in a bad position, you're just – Yeah, you know, I mean, that's that's like what, what me and Sam were talking about earlier. Being in that position, you got to be the quarterback of the defense. You yeah. got to know the plays. You got to be in the right position. And to his credit, you know, I mean, to I, I guess to most football players' credit, they're in the position, they're in the right position probably most of the time. But what the fancy is the plays that they're out of position, right? Well, um, but I mean, he was he was a couple times, you know, when we roasted him about missing those sacks. I mean, he put himself in the right position to make that sack, and his athleticism just couldn't get it, you know. But, but could you could you also imagine him like sticking at safety? I, and how mad you would be? No, I mean he came in and immediately trans. Like he played safety at Buford, so I mean, I I don't know. That's just linebacker play was terrible, and I for whatever reason we didn't play the younger guys. Apparently they look pretty good, but uh, I know that's for another another podcast we'll talk about next year. But linebacker play was just bad. Charlie Thomas moved to nickel, moved to safety. And he was our best linebacker in 2019. I don't know why he moved to safety. I guess that's what he wanted to play. But, um, I mean, he's always been undersized as a linebacker. He can't put on weight. Like, we've tried to do everything we can to put on weight, and the guy's just skinny as a rail. But he's really physical and is always in a position and is really athletic. So, um, I would say our most consistent linebacker was uh, Quez Knight. And, uh, I mean, he's just – he, he's he's just an average linebacker. He's not going to wow you, but he 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 it can be pretty physical, and he he makes a lot of tackles. So um, some night some days he you know have a bad game here and there, but he was he was probably our only consistent guy. I mean, I'm really not sure what happened to Demetrius Knight. I mean, he was kind of progressing, but then we never saw him, and now he's moving back to quarterback. So um, not really sure what the deal is there. But so we didn't have a lot of depth at linebacker. Um, hopefully we can build some of that with some of the guys we have coming in. That really has to improve. Um, I think Charlie is back at linebacker, though, so that's that's a good deal. Maybe he can put on a little bit of weight, but, I mean, hell, even if he doesn't, he's still better at linebacker. He played at the end of the year linebacker, and um, it was noticeable that he was out there, so I thought that's a good thing. Um, special teams-wise, I put by the kicker, obviously, WTF, um, how does it, how does it get so bad? Um, we, it was, it was a nightmare. Like when I say a nightmare, every time we saw a kicker run out there, I'm looking at my stands. I mean, I'm looking at my dad in the stands going, Oh shit, here we go. And then you get one either blocked or it was kicked 20 yards to the right of the field goal and was 15 yards short. And it was just absolutely doinked. And those are the those are the easy like, points. Those are the points that you settle for if you don't score a touchdown. If you can't get those, then it's just yeah. it just turns yeah, bad. And, and that's what I told I've told many people. If we want to see progress next year, you're not gonna these games that are like middle of the road teams in the ACC that you need to win on your schedule. If you can't consistently kick a field goal and extra points, those are the kind of games you end up losing because you can't just get easy points. Yeah, you don't don't you, don't ever underestimate special teams. Yeah, you have to have a kicker. Now, on the flip side of that, we had the best punter in the country. 
I mean, yeah. dude won the Ray Guy Award, set records for average punt distance. I mean, the, the dude absolutely just has a rocket attached to his leg and can boot it. So that was a bright spot because, I mean, hell, we go out there and go three and out and get to watch Buddy <laughs> yeah. boom one 65 yards, tight spiral. I wonder if they ever tried him at kicker, at place kicker. He, like, they tried it. They tried him at kickoffs and stuff, but he, apparently – like he just would get leg soreness and fatigue and just wasn't punting the same. So they were like, you know, I mean, it is a weapon when you have, I mean, you know, uh, what's his name? Camarda. Camarda. Yeah. Unless, unless they shank it five yards. Yeah. Unless yeah, he has a two yard. Punt, right? <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's, it's a yeah, weapon yeah. when, when you have, have oh, a, yeah. a punter that can just absolutely flip the field. I mean, there were times yep. where he would, he would just flip it 65, 70 yard punts and, the return man's like, I don't stand a chance because it's, for one, a tight spiral, and that thing is hard to catch. And for two, it's up in the air for so freaking long, those dudes, your gunners are on you by the time. So, I mean, it, it was nice to have him. I'm worried about that, actually, when we got a punter from Australia or some shit coming in. But um, it was cool to see Presley win the Ray, Ray guy. I feel like you uh, – feel like he deserved it he swept the honors this year for special teams so that's pretty cool um so what, what would yeah, you grade the season uh i would i would give it a c plus up from a, a d minus last year okay and that's hard to believe but just from the the progress i saw as a like a, a fan watches every minute of every game at every game from what i saw i, I would say there's a, a decent amount of improvement I would have been more likely to give like a just a flat out, you know, B minus over B if it showed in the wind column, but it didn't because, you know, we had glaring issues. I think coaching was an issue. Um, I think talent's up. I think we there's places where we lack in coaching, specifically offensive coordinator, and I'm not sure how long Dave Patnode makes it if he doesn't show significant improvement in his play calling because obviously there's coaches that are upset with what was going on. There are some things that – certain staff members were not happy about and they flirted with the idea of leaving or, you know, say they flirted with the idea of leaving. Maybe they were just trying to, you know, swing their, their uh, influence a little bit there. But, you know, Brent, Brent, Brent has, has seen what it takes to win. Um, He's been at the, at the big stops, uh, won national titles, built an impressive offensive line. He knows what it takes to win, and obviously he was unhappy with some things that he saw. So um, that kind of concerns me a little bit because uh, you would you would think – it would make me happy to think, okay, what we're doing is the right direction. We're just taking our growing pains right now. But if he's visibly and noticeably unhappy with some things going on and the way things are being run and stuff, then – I think obviously there's some issues, so hopefully that gets addressed. I think maybe that's maybe that's a good thing that this happened. I, I didn't really think he was going to leave. I mean, the dude played at Tech. Um, he talks about how much he wanted to be there, and he left Alabama to come to Georgia Tech. Um, right. He, he had he that's had a cake. A big, that's a big step. Uh, he had a cake job. He yeah. just about could get any recruit he wanted to. The Al- Alabama repeatedly produces four star, five star offensive linemen, and he just picked whichever one he want. I mean, look at that offensive line. That was built by him. Right. And, I he, mean, and he's not lacking for job offers right now either. Yeah, and and he makes the most as an assistant. 
he makes more than an offensive, de- offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, any coach on the team, and he's the assistant head coach. Yeah. So, I mean, other than South Carolina giving him a 1.5 something, you know, something just stupid money-wise, there's got to be a reason for him to want to leave if he even flirted with it. Maybe he was using that as leverage. I don't know. But apparently there yeah. was something going down, and – they say it's been addressed, so I guess we'll see. Yeah. Well, I mean, the whole the whole smoke behind South Carolina wanting him, and you know, all the fans were were really hype about potentially getting him. But the whole time, you know, I was I was like, I don't I don't think that's gonna happen. You know, I think it's more of a leverage move to to be like, look, I I have all these offers, so you know, we should do things kind of more yeah. more the way I want, not necessarily the way he wants them, but like. Take my advice. Take yeah. Take oh. my take my suggestions, or I could leave. Yeah, and but I, if he goes think, anywhere, it's going to be Bama again. Yeah, well, I mean, there's also been rumor that Nick Saban knew once Sark was hired that, um, what's the guy's name? Field. Yeah. Or, or so, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Offensive that he, line coach, whatever yeah, it is. That he was going with Sark, so there's rumors that he'd been trying to get Brent back, and <clears throat> I mean, if he goes back, I don't know why he ever left. Maybe things are just terrible, and he's like, "I got to jump ship." You know, uh, I'm not going to hitch my wagon to this shit show going over here. So, but I, I'm, I, they say it's been addressed. Um, there was times during the game where, like, obviously we sit right behind there, and he's coaching the whole time, and you know, he's just like, "There's one point in the game where he, he loudly yelled, what are we doing?'" Um, so maybe his input wasn't being taken as seriously. Maybe right. he felt like he didn't have as much say. He was supposed to be the run game coordinator. Um, maybe, you know, Dave was just kind of running the show and not not uh, giving him the time of day that he thought he should. So I'd be interested to see what changes. Um, like I said, I think the guy knows what it takes to win. He's obviously been there, done that. So uh, not saying let him run the show, but – definitely give you know listen to what the man has to say yeah well i guess we got we got an f for south carolina we got an a for clemson b plus for georgia and what a c minus i think i went c plus c plus for tech so those are the grades hopefully hopefully they improve next season we'll see i guess but yeah i mean that was that was the 2020 season right there in a nutshell Obviously, there's much more to it, um, but, you know, you can't fit everything in, into one episode. Um, but, Tennessee. yeah, Tennessee is a, a disaster right now, firing Jeremy Pruitt, but we won't get into that right now. Um, but, you know, that's – I mean, that's that's how it went. 2020 was a weird year with COVID and, and all that stuff, and the transfer portal is, is as active as ever Hopping. right now. Hopping. Uh, yeah. As as Trying active as ever, um, so we'll see where that goes in the in the coming months, years, whatever it may be. But yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much all we have to say. We got unfinished business on the pod. Yeah, we got <laughs> yeah. some unfinished business. Um, we'll be we'll be coming back with with some episodes during the off season. They're not going to be as constant as usual, um, but you know, just updating with recruiting news and 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 team news, whatever we hear out of uh, spring camp and stuff like that. But, you know, for, for all of you, whoever is listening out there, thank you. Um, <laughs> and 
you know, and we'll be back. We'll be back and better than ever for next season. I will not be. I will not be back next year. Sam will be back. He acts like he has Sam, Sam enter his name, negotiations. Enter his name in the portal, but he hasn't gotten picking up yet. So um, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, it's looking like Tennessee. <laughs> not Auburn? No, um, Tennessee's having a, a closeout sale. So they're getting rid of all the leftover bag man money they have. Oh, oh, I see. I see. But anyways, for all you out there, thank you for listening. That's what we got to say. Peace.